Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we can spend looking at your word together. We thank you that you have given us your word, and we pray that we may make good use of it this morning. We pray that you may help me as I try to speak and explain what you have said. Lord, we pray that you may give me much of your Holy Spirit, and then in turn give much of your Holy Spirit to the people who are gathered here this morning. We pray that they may be able to comprehend what you have said and how it impacts upon their lives. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, have you ever felt safe standing behind somebody else, using them as almost a human shield between you and somebody else? I've seen that with our own children. That's what children love to do when they're nervous about somebody else. They will hide behind their parents, and my children still seem to do that. Even when people come who are clearly not a threat, people that they've known before, sometimes they're just in a mood where they just want to be shy and hide behind us so that we are shielding them from the presence of the other person and what that person they might be dreaming might do to them if they are not... uh, behind their parent. This morning we're going to be looking at hiding behind something so that we are protected. And that was particularly at the time of the Israelites in Egypt. In Egypt, there was something severe coming, something dangerous coming to the people of Egypt. And they needed to hide behind something if they were to be protected. What is that thing that is coming? Well, it is a judgment, a judgment of death coming to all Egypt. And that is my first main point this morning as we look at this passage in Exodus chapter 12. My first main point this morning is a judgment of death came to all Egypt. If you want to see my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin so that you can follow along. And the first is a judgment of death came to all Egypt. Why does this judgment of death come? Well, it's because Egypt had sinned. They'd sinned against God. They'd sinned against God's people. They'd sinned quite severely against God's people. They subjected the Israelites to intense slavery, not because of anything that they'd particularly done, but just the fact that they were Israelites. And that is recorded to us in uh, Exodus chapter 1. Flip with me back a few pages. If you've got a church Bible, that's page 55 of the Black Church Bibles. Page 55. And we see the, the sin of the Egyptians against the Israelites. I'll read from verse 1 of Exodus chapter 1. Uh, Exodus chapter 1. And, well, actually, I'll read from verse 6. It says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labour, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So here we see the sin of them. They've subjected these people to hard labour. And then what do they do next? Verse 15, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, 
When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Their sin has extended from not just making people slaves and subjecting them to hard labour and using them ruthlessly, but now they're actually starting to kill the firstborn sons, the sons of all the Israelites. This is sin in God's eyes, and he wants to deal with these Egyptians for what they're doing, this sin that they're committing in this land. And it's not as though God has brought this plague that's going to come, this judgment of death that's going to come on the Egyptians out of the blue. He's warned Pharaoh again and again that what he is doing is wrong and he must let his people go. We've seen, uh, if you read through Exodus, you see there's nine other plagues come before this tenth plague of judgment of death. There's nine other warnings given to Pharaoh. You've got to let my people go. You've got to stop sinning. Warning has been given. But Pharaoh again and again hardens his own heart against God's warnings. And so this last plague comes. And God predicts that judgment will be made upon the, the land of Egypt. Look with me at verse 65, uh, page 65, verse 12 of chapter 12 of Exodus. Exodus 12, 12. We see God predict this plague of judgment. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Plague of judgment is coming that affects not just the humans, but also the animals, and also it's a judgment upon the gods of Egypt. And then it does come, as God promises. It's not as though God makes empty threats, just as he promised all the other plagues and they came to fruition. We see in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, that this plague does come. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, what do we read? At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night And there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. God predicted the judgment, and the judgment did indeed come. But was there a way of salvation? Was there someone to hide behind when the angel of death came through the land of Egypt? Was there someone to protect the Israelites from this plague of death? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Salvation from death was available. Salvation from death was available. God graciously gave details for a way of salvation to be protected, something to hide behind when the plague of death would come through the land. What was the way? Well, it was a sacrifice, a substitute, something to die instead of the firstborn sons of any given household. This sacrifice would then die in their place. And so the firstborn sons would not die, but instead continue to live. What was the sacrifice that obtained that salvation? Well, it was a very specific sacrifice. It wasn't just, oh, well, I might sacrifice some grapes. I might give those over to God and I'll be protected from the the plague of death or some other grain offering that you might think to offer or some animal. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll put a rat in place of me. No, God was very specific about what the sacrifice should be. 
What did he say it should be? Well, firstly, he was very particular on the type of animal that it should be. The sacrifices needed to be a particular type of animal. And we see that in verse 5 of of Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, it says, the animals you choose must be a year old, must be year old males without defect and you are to, you may take them from the sheep or the goats. It had to be a sheep or a goat and generally speaking it's referred to as a lamb that a sheep would be sacrificed in place of the firstborn sons. And it wasn't just a particular type of animal. He wanted a particular type of sheep or goat. What was that? Well, it had to be a male. We read in verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males. It couldn't be a female, it had to be a male. That was the substitute. And then we also read that it had to be in a particular state of condition, that animal, without defect, it says there in verse 5. It couldn't be lame, it couldn't be missing an eye. It had to be a lamb without a defect, that sacrifice, if it was to be an effective sacrifice. We also read that it had to be sacrificed at a particular time of year, a particular time of year. And we read that in verse 6, it had to be sacrificed on the 14th day of the first month. Verse 6, it says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. You couldn't sacrifice it on any day you choose. It had to be sacrificed on the 14th day. And then it was a particular time of day that it had to be sacrificed. What time of day did it have to be sacrificed? Verse 6 tells us, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. You couldn't get up in the morning and sacrifice the lamb and think, Yes, okay, I'll get it done over and done with and I'll be all good. No, you had to wait till twilight. Very specific sacrifice that God is saying has to be offered if you are to be saved from this plague of death coming through the land. And then a particular place was outlined for the blood to be distributed. You had to take the blood and put it somewhere. Where was that? Well, it was on the door frames. Verse 7 says, Then they had to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. You couldn't just have make the sacrifice and let the blood be there with the sacrifice. No, you had to take that blood and you had to paint it on the doorways of your house. Bit gruesome. I don't know if any of you have ever taken blood and put it up on the doorway of your house. Seems like you're something out of a horror movie. But that's what was required. If you were to be protected... From the plague of death, you had to follow God's instructions and he had a particular place for the blood to go. And then he had a particular place that you were to stay if you were to be protected from that, from that plague of death. You had to stay under the blood. Verse 22 tells us this. Verse 22 tells us again about taking the blood. It says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into some into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. You couldn't put it up there and then go out camping and be okay. No, you had to stay in that house under the blood. You had to be in a particular place in relation to the sacrifice if you were to be saved. And then there was particular care to be taken of the animal. When, when it was slaughtered, when it was sacrificed, a particular care had to be taken of it. Flip with me over to verse 46, the next page over in your black church Bibles. Verse 46, page 66, it says, It must be eaten, that's the lamb, inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. 
Do not break any of the bones. You could not break the bones of that lamb. It had to be a lamb with unbroken bones after it was sacrificed. So particular care had to be taken of that sacrifice. So we see the sacrifice is a very particular sacrifice. It's a very specific sacrifice. If you are to be saved from the plague of death, you must have a very specific sacrifice to hide behind so that you would be safe. The question is, who had access to this sacrifice? Who could actually have this sacrifice to hide behind? Well, not simply everyone. Very specific about who could take part in this Passover and be protected from the plague of death. We see it's those who, of course, made use of the blood. Those who painted the blood on the door frames of their houses are the ones who would be protected. Those who obeyed those commands, made the sacrifice and used the blood in the way prescribed. But we also see that it's for people who have been circumcised, people who are followers of God, who have converted to Judaism or are part of Judaism and true believers. We see that in those verses from later on in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse, well, we'll read from verse 43 down. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Okay, so no foreigners are allowed. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. Who's allowed to take part in the Passover and have that protection? It's got to be people who have converted to Judaism or are born Jews and following Judaism. It's not enough that you're a descendant of Abraham. It says in verse 49, the same law applies to the native-born people descended from Israel, from Jacob, and to the alien living among you. You must be circumcised if you're a male in the household. You have to be a follower of God if you are to have that sacrifice be effective for you. And then we see, of course, that this sacrifice does save those people. We read that, yes, the plague comes to Egypt, strikes down even Pharaoh's son, but there's no word in this account of any Israelite son dying in this plague. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28, it says, By faith he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. None of the firstborn were touched by the destroying angel as it came through the land. So we see judgment came to Egypt. We saw that there was a way of salvation and that people took it. Now, how big a deal was this event then in Israelite history? How memorable was it for them? Well, it was a big event. It was a big deal. And that brings me to my third main point this morning. Salvation through the Lamb was remembered in a special way. Salvation through the Lamb was remembered in a special way. And it's not surprising that they would do that. I mean, let's face it. If you have children and you lost one of those, how severely 
would that impact your life? It would be a big deal if someone actually saved your child so instead of it dying, it was able to continue living. And so it's not surprising that the Israelites would want to sacrifice, uh, to want to celebrate this event for years to come and that God would command that they do so because he has been so gracious to them in allowing their firstborn sons to live. And so the Israelites were to keep the Passover meal from then on. They were to remember what they were saved from, this plague of death, and they were to remember how they were saved from the plague of death, through the blood of the Lamb. And we see that instructed to them in verse 24 through to verse 27. God says to them in Exodus chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you, then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. They are to keep on remembering for years to come. And when their children say, why are we doing this, Dad? They are to say, it's because God passed over our firstborn sons. Could include your great, 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 great grandpa. He was alive and you're a descendant from him because God passed over him. Because the sacrifice was accepted instead of his death. And so it was a big deal for these Israelites that they were saved. Now, how is this helpful for you? What is the lesson for you today as you sit here many thousands of years on from this event? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. A judgment of death is coming to all the earth. A judgment of death is coming to all the earth. Let's face it, you and myself included, we all live in a modern-day Egypt. We all live in a land where people rebel against God and his commands day after day after day. Just like God warned Pharaoh again and again that he was rebelling against him, God tells us again and again that we're rebelling against him and what do we do so much like Pharaoh? We behave like him and we continue to sin again and again. And Romans 3 teaches us that there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who seeks God. And that is the case for us today. We are in a modern day Egypt. And God will bring judgment. He has warned he will bring judgment upon this world for its rebellion against him. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10 says, The heavens one day will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Remember that plague that came to Egypt? It took human life. It also took animal life. And one day a real plague will come through this world, a plague of fire that will destroy everything. Everything will be laid bare. And one day when we die, we are also judged. We'll be judged with an eternal fire for our sins against God. And we will deserve that judgment because of what we've done in sinning again repeatedly through our lives against him. But is there a way of salvation like there was in Egypt? Remember, there was judgment predicted on Pharaoh, but then there was a way of salvation. Is there a way of salvation that is available to us in this day and age? Many thousands of years removed on, 
but still with impending judgment coming upon us? Is there a way of salvation? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Salvation from death is available. Salvation from death is available. God graciously gives us details about how we can be saved from the plague of death and judgment that is coming. Another Passover lamb has been provided if we will just take advantage of it and be saved. What is this Passover lamb, this substitute that will be in our place? Well, it's the man, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul calls Christ a Passover lamb. He is saying that when Jesus died at the cross, that was the sacrifice. That was the payment for the sins of those who trust in him. There is a way of salvation. There is another Passover lamb. And you don't have to get there with a knife and slit the throat of a lamb and then take blood and put it up on your doorframe. But there is another lamb, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the Passover lamb that will save us. And it's amazing that Jesus fulfills so much of what is said about the Passover lamb in the Old Testament with his life and his death. It's not just Paul's word that Jesus is the Passover lamb. All you have to do is read about Jesus and his life in the Gospels. And you see quite quickly that Jesus fulfills the shadow that that Passover lamb is in the Old Testament. He fulfills it so much more clearly in the New. What do we know about Jesus and who he is in comparison to that Passover lamb in the Old Testament that was meant to be sacrificed? Well, remember the particular things that were said about that lamb that had to be done, that type of lamb that had to be sacrificed. Remember, it had to be a male. What was Jesus? It was male. It had to be in a particular state. What was that particular state? Without blemish, without any defect. Was Jesus a defective human? No. 1 Peter 1.19 says he was a lamb without blemish or defect. And then 1 Peter 2, he goes on to say, Peter says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He was a perfect human. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned, which makes him a lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect. If we are to have somebody else be the substitute for us, it needs to be someone without blemish, without defect, because otherwise they're just dying for their own sins. And so Jesus is qualified to be that Passover lamb that we need. What else did we know about that lamb? Well, it had to be sacrificed at a particular time of year. When was Jesus sacrificed? When was he crucified? At the time of the Passover. It only came around once a year, but when was Jesus sacrificed? Yes, it was at the time of the Passover. When did Jesus die? When did he give up his spirit? We read in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says, Now It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. About the ninth hour. What's the ninth hour? It'd be about 3 p.m. Jesus died a little bit after that. What time of day is that? Twilight. Sun's going down. When was the lamb supposed to be sacrificed? Twilight. When was Jesus dying on the cross? Twilight. And and it was a particular place. 
that the blood of Jesus ended up. How did Jesus die? Was he beheaded on the ground and his blood ran all over the ground? No, it was on wood. He was held up on wood, a cross, a wooden cross. Where was the blood of the lamb meant to be put up? It was meant to be put up on a doorframe, on wood. And there we see Jesus hanging on a cross. And particular care was taken of Jesus' body. Remember what happened after, we just read it from John chapter 19, what happened to John, uh, Jesus' body on the cross? They came to break his legs, but then they didn't. What was meant to happen with the Passover lamb? What care was meant to be taken of it? Its lamb legs were not meant to be broken. You were not to break its bones. What happened to Jesus on the cross? None of his bones were broken. Jesus fulfills that shadow which is the Passover lamb, but fulfills it so much more clearly for us. He is the Passover lamb that we need. Let's face it, the blood of a lamb cannot take away our sin. It is a poor substitute for a human being. But the blood of Jesus Christ can. He is the true Passover lamb. And so we can have salvation from that plague that is coming. How? Who can have that? Well, it's those who immerse themselves in the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 7 7 teaches this. Flip with me to page 1220, 1220 of your black church Bibles. Revelation chapter 12, uh, chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 13. And John says in verse 13 of Revelation chapter 7, Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a description of people who are not being judged. These are people who have escaped judgment. Now, how did they escape judgment? What did it say in verse 14? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes in Jesus Christ's blood. They have Jesus' blood on them. Just like those houses had Jesus' blood on them and people were in them and they were protected by the blood. So these people in Revelation are said to be in heaven and be safe because they have had Jesus' blood surround them and protect them. And we can have that too. If we trust in Jesus Christ, we are washing our robes in the blood of the Lamb. We are covered in sin, and we need that sin to be washed away. And thankfully it is in Jesus Christ. If we will trust in him, if we will turn from our sins and believe that Jesus Christ died for us, then we will be washed in his blood. That's how the people of Israel were saved. They trusted that that blood would save them, that that sacrifice would save them. They trusted in the lamb. 
And they also were people who had circumcised their sons. They were people who had followed God. And we see that is what's described of Christians, of people who've trusted in Christ. They're people who have not circumcision in the body, but circumcision of the heart. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Who is safe from the plague of judgment coming? People who have circumcised hearts, who have faith in the power of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to consider what it means that the plague of judgment is coming for you. One day you will die and you will face judgment unless you have someone to hide behind. Just like my children want to hide behind me when they know danger is there, you need to be hiding behind someone. And that only person can be the one who has specifically been outlined by God as the safe one. He was very particular about that sheep, remember, to the Israelites. And he's been very particular about the sheep that you need to hide behind if you are to be saved now. There's only one lamb, and that is the lamb Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to him to be the lamb. God tells us in the New Testament he is the lamb. He tells us even there in Revelation, telling us what's happened to people who have washed their, their robes in the blood of the Lamb, that they are safe. I encourage you, don't face judgment alone. Face it with Jesus Christ as your substitute, as your sacrifice, so that you are safe. And if you are a Christian, how big a deal is it that you have Jesus as your Passover Lamb? Should it be something that you remember, that you celebrate on a regular basis? Well, that brings me to my sixth main point. Salvation through the Lamb is still remembered. The event is huge. Let's face it. Instead of being eternally damned, we're going to be eternally living with God. It is something to be remembered. I mean, we celebrate our birthdays, don't we? We celebrate wedding anniversaries. We celebrate many things in our, our lives. But any of them, do any of those events come close to how important it is that you have been saved from eternal punishment in hell and instead have eternal life. That God's judgment has passed over you. Nothing compares to that. And so it should be celebrated, it should be remembered. And God has given us a very particular way that we are to remember it. And that is by the Lord's Supper, by Holy Communion which we celebrate together. Jesus institutes it for us. Just like God said to the Israelites, you must remember the Passover, he tells us to remember his death in a very particular way. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, we read, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He's having the Last Supper, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He instituted a way of remembering his death as a Passover lamb for us. And that is by eating and drinking grape juice and bread together as a community. So if you are a Christian, is this an important part of your life? Yes, it was important when you became a Christian. Is it important to remember Christ's death for you? And particularly in the way that God has ordained through the Lord's Supper. Is this something you look forward to? I think it's wonderful that we do it more than we do for birthdays. Birthdays only come around once a year. I try to draw out my birthday because you can make it a birthday week. You have it with your parents one day. You have it with your own family another day. You have it on the day itself because usually you're working that day, so you have it another day. And so you get, and then of course people don't see you, and so they give you presents later on. And so the birth week happens. But really, it only comes around once a year. Whereas we come and eat together once a month at this church in the way that God has commanded us to, because it is such an important event that Christ died for us. We remember it, we should be remembering it every day, but we have a very special way to do it. As a whole community, the whole community did it. Celebrate the Passover together. And so we should, as a whole community, it's not, you can't have the Lord's Supper on your own. You have it as a community event where you together celebrate what Christ has done for you. And if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, is this something you look forward to? Are you looking forward to what happens after the service, after I finish preaching? Are you looking forward to that? Because you know that this is a fantastic event in your life when Christ died for you. And so you want to celebrate it in the way he has ordained. So have you recognised that a judgment is coming? Have you taken advantage of God's way of salvation and made use of the Passover lamb? Have you trusted in Christ and so you are washed in the blood? It's like the blood has been painted upon you and you have a circumcised heart because of what Christ has done for you. And are you ready to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ even now? as we come to the Lord's table. Let us pray, let us speak with our God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one who we can hide behind, who we can be covered by, that his blood was shed for us and has washed our robes so they are white. So instead of you judging us for eternity, we are instead given eternal life. We go to a wonderful place where there is no more crying, there are no more tears, where we be, can be with you for all eternity. Lord, we pray for anyone in this room who has not washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. We pray that they may see the impending judgment and see that there is only one way of salvation, And that is through the very particular sacrifice of Jesus, the lamb without blemish or defect. And we pray that they may trust in him even now. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.